Pray with me, Father, we confess we need you. We are tired of attempting to run our own lives. So would you stir our hearts to a place of humility and gratitude and confession and worship this morning. Help us confess this need of you all the more. Teach us, Holy Spirit, as we open your word. Instruct us. Give us what we need. For your glory, for your name to be known in the world, and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Thank you guys for leading us uh, this morning. Um, We're in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke chapter 8. Last week in Luke Luke 8, we were in verses uh, 4 through 15 and we read the parable of the sower. The big takeaway from the parable of the sower was for us to consider how we receive God's word when it comes to us. Using the illustration of different types of soil that Jesus uses to teach, we pause to examine the readiness of the soil in our own hearts. So when God's word comes to us, when we hear it preached, when we read it and study it with our own eyes, does it take root? Does it grow? Is it bearing fruit in our lives? These are the questions we asked last week. This morning, we'll continue in chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. And in many ways, this next little section is kind of a continuation of the parable that Jesus started last week. It's a continuation of his line of thinking. In fact, we'll actually read a a, a phrase, a, a sentence, a repeat of the big idea we came up with last week. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. That idea is repeated again. And so Jesus is continuing this challenge, but it's not only, not just about hearing. He adds another component. It's also about doing. Now, before we read, as an illustration, think back for me. Can you recall something that you really wanted to learn how to do? Or maybe just something you wanted to learn? A language, a skill, a hobby. Get, some, get really good at, at something. Uh, maybe it's uh, throwing a curveball or, or learning how to... Uh, Solve a Rubik's Cube. I figured I'd get an amen from at least one person on solving a Rubik's Cube. Right? Did you succeed in that quest? So think about that thing, whatever that thing is. Like, I really want to do this or learn this. Did you succeed? Can you do that thing? Did you learn how? Did your knowledge of that idea or that skill, did it grow? And more importantly, let me ask, how did you know that you knew? How did you know that, yes, I've mastered this thing? I think in most cases, we know because we did the thing, right? You can read about riding a bike. Someone can teach you the fundamentals of, and physics involved in how to ride a bike. But do you really know how to ride a bike until you ride a bike, Right? 
That's the illustration, I think, something we'll see in this text. I think Jesus is saying, really, truly knowing something is proved. It shows itself when the knowing becomes doing. So we're called to take care how we hear because the word of God received, truly received and known, bears the fruit of faithful doing. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here as he continues his parable. So let's read our text this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Luke 8, starting in verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is God's holy word for us today. Consider how you hear because the word of God received bears the fruit of faithful doing. There's a continuation of this parable on hearing the word of God. But Jesus changed it and it, a little and adapts it. He changes the illustration uh, almost like saying, let me try this another way. And instead of the example as seed, Jesus pivots and uses the example of a light or a lamp. Parables, as I mentioned last week, are intended to, to stir up in the listener, to challenge, to provoke, to bring clarity to those who are ready and willing to hear and to confound those who are unwilling to hear. And so... A good way for us to understand and interpret parables is with questions. So I've broken up the text today into three questions. This revised parable, I've asked these three. What is the purpose of this lamp or this light that Jesus has given us? The seed in the, in the parable of the sower, just a few verses before, is the word of God. Soils are those who don't receive or don't receive God's word. Why plant a seed, right? That's what the question we ask. What's the, what's the purpose of that? And in this passage, what is the purpose of lighting a lamp? That's the first question. Question two, why should we consider our hearing? It's, it's flatly told the listeners, so consider how you hear. I ask the question, why? Why? What are the connections and reasons for taking care how we hear God's word. And the third question is, how do we know? How do we know if we're hearing well? If that's the instruction to take care how we hear. A seed is planted or a lamp is lit for a purpose. We're called to consider our response to that purpose. In this case, how do we know if the purpose for which the seed was planted or the light is given is actually taking root? Is it being carried out in our lives? What? Why? How? Like the basic questions. How do we understand what God's given us here in this parable? So let's dive in together. Chapter 8, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. What is the purpose of the light? 
Now, the simple, straightforward answer is to shine, right? This isn't rocket science. Why do you light a light, a turn, flip a switch when you walk into a room? Because it's dark, right? Why do some of you kids in the room and probably some of you adults sleep with a night light? Or a light in the hallway that's just around the corner, right? Because without it, it is just a little too dark in the room, right? Why do you leave the lights on even when you leave the room? Every parent in the room who pays an electric bill says, I don't know. I've just, we, Amy and I just had this conversation like yesterday, again. Hey, when you leave, when there's no one on the entire floor, maybe there shouldn't be lights on, right? But it's clear, what is the purpose of a light? Why was it turned on in the, in the first place? To shine, to, 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 to light up a dark place, to illuminate a dark room. Just like the parable of the sower, why would someone plant a seed to grow something? Why would someone turn on a light or light a lamp? Well, because there's darkness and it needs to be expelled. And he doesn't ask the question, but it kind of implies the negative. Nobody plants a seed in order to not grow crops. Right? Nobody lights a lamp and then covers it up. Right? The picture he uses here is literally lighting a lamp and then shoving it under a bed or into into a closet and then shutting the door. Like, what's the purpose of that? And Jesus goes on. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. A light is intended to make visible what would otherwise be invisible. And Jesus says all that is still currently hard to see or hard to understand will be made clear. He knows that right now in his ministry, there's many things that his disciples and those around him don't fully understand. But Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, is reminding them and encouraging them, all that should come to light will come to light. It it echoes a little bit from John chapter 1. Starting in verse 9, the the Apostle John in his gospel says this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's speaking of Jesus. The, the, The word made flesh that we talked about last week, the logos in the flesh, He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is the Logos, the word of God in the flesh, and is the true light that John is speaking of. And Jesus kind of pulling his disciples and saying, I've given this to you. You may not fully understand this yet, but I have given this to you. I've given you this light of who I am and this light of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, we see a similar reference from Jesus. He tells his disciples in Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Verse 16, in the same way then, 
If that's the purpose of the light, Jesus says, that I've given you, let your light then shine before men. Shine before others so that they they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, the true light, shines on and in his disciples so that they might be lights. That's the overarching picture here we're seeing when Jesus is telling this uh, mini parable. Hey, no one lights a lamp and then shoves it under a bed, puts it under a basket. Why would you do that? That's silly. The purpose of the light that you have is to shine. And to do, to shine in such a way, as Matthew says, so that other people go, hey, there's a light on over there. I wonder what that's about. I'll come back to that in a minute here. Verse 18 kind of closes this little teaching on the light with take care how you hear. So what's the purpose of the light? Well, it's to shine. It's to shine, to be a bright light in dark places. That's the answer to our first question. Question two, why should we then take care how we hear? How is this connected to lamps or soils and seeds for that matter? You, Jesus says, my disciples have been given the word of God. The seed of of God's word, which we looked at last uh, week, you have been entrusted with this gospel, the light of the good news and the message of the kingdom. Take care then, he says, how you hear. Consider the soil of your hearts. Consider your level of comfort with the shadows rather than the light. Take care then how you hear. He goes on, for the one, excuse me, for to the one who has, more will be given And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. For the one who has, meaning for the one who is hearing, for the one who has received God's word, for the one who is believing the gospel by faith, more, Jesus says, will be given. More what? More understanding, more growth, more faith. To follow the parables, more water and nutrients for the soil so that the plant continues to grow. More fuel for the lamp so that it will burn hotter and brighter and longer. Right? For the one who has, Jesus says, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This one stings a little bit. This echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah prophesies, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. You're hearing, but you're not really hearing. You think you have understanding. You, You are seeing, but you're not really seeing. That's the caution here. Or consider some other words of Jesus. Recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Jesus is giving a picture of the last day. On that day when when all of humanity stands before God. Jesus, the Advocate, the Righteous One, will be standing there. Ready to give an, an account of His own work. And He says in Matthew, on that day, when the Son of Man returns in all His glory... Jesus says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
And Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Right? You, you, think, you, you think you're there. Many have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power of God. Many look like sheep and smell like sheep, but when the shepherd comes to gather in his flock to bring them in, he separates out his sheep from the wild goats who have been benefiting from the comfort of the flock and the protection of the shepherd. That's what Jesus is saying here. Like the parable of the sower, there's seed that falls on rocky soil or seed that falls among the weeds that grows up but doesn't bear fruit. Take care then how you hear helps us understand and apply this parable to our lives. Hearing equals receiving equals understanding. For the one who has, more will be given. Take care then how you hear. To quote Pastor Vody Bauckham, if you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. Right? He who has ears, let him hear. Why should we... Take care how we hear, because how we hear tells us something about who we are. Tells us something about where we are and what we believe. That's question two. Why should we take care how we hear? Because it's a marker for us. Which leads to our final question. How do we know if we're hearing well? The danger, it appears, is hearing without really hearing or seeing but not really understanding what we're looking at. That we can seemingly be with everyone else in the room, but in the end find ourselves on the outside looking in. This is a sobering reality. How do we know if we're hearing well, as Jesus is calling us to do? Look at verses 19 through 21. Then, this is Jesus, uh, his mother and brothers came to him. Jesus is done with his lesson, and Luke tells us that his uh, mother and brothers came to him but couldn't get to him because of the crowds. These are Jesus' biological mother, Mary, and his biological uh, brothers, at least half-brothers, sons of Mary and Joseph. The language here and in the other Gospels is pretty plain and straightforward that these are intend, these are uh, indeed children of Mary and Joseph who've come along with Mary to talk with Jesus. They're trying to get his attention. And this is important because culturally, family was very important. And responsibility to family, according to both cultural uh, custom and tradition, as well as God's law in the Old Testament, were very significant. The way you treated and took care of your family and responded to them said something about what you believed about how God ordered the universe, let alone what he's given in his word. And Jesus, perfectly fulfilling the law of God, was not in sin when he did not drop everything to answer the call of his mother and his brothers. He was not in violation of the commandment to honor his father and mother when he said, not right now. So what is happening here? It seems that Jesus is making a point. He's connecting the the importance of those who, who not only hear, but also do what they're hearing. And he's connecting that to family. Jesus says, the one who hears my word, and not just hears it, but lives according to it, Puts it into practice. That person, Jesus says, is my family. And he wasn't dismissing family as unimportant. 
He was using this high cultural value of children who were to honor and respect and take care of their parents. Saying, I know family is important. And if it is as important as it is, which I think Jesus is saying, it is important. How much more significant must it be then to be one who does the will of God according to the word of God? He's not diminishing family. He's raising the bar on what it means to belong to him. So how do we know if we're hearing well? If we've not only heard, but that we're actually understanding. Jesus is making the case. If it is bearing fruit in our lives, if we're not only hearers of the word, but doers also. The Apostle James says as much in James chapter 1. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. But then he looks as he, uh, he looks at himself and then goes away and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, <clears throat> being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Now, passages like this might cause us to bristle a little bit. What we do matters, and we get that. We're okay with that in theory. But we go like, well, then where does grace come into play here? We are not justified, that is, made right before God by our works, Right? We believe we are justified, that we are made right and righteous by faith. To which I would hope that when you hear that, your heart wells up with a hearty, Amen. Amen. Right? We wholeheartedly confess that there is nothing in our doing that earns us right standing before God. We cannot do enough to make ourselves good. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I want to sing that a lot and believe that more fully than I often do. We cannot remove ourselves from this reality of the the justifying power of Jesus Christ to save sinners. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that faith is producing something in us. It's often attributed to Martin Luther, but the quote actually comes from the writings of the reformer John Calvin. He says this, It is therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet that faith which justifies is not alone. He continues, Just as it is, the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, yet in the sun it is not alone because it, con- it is constantly conjoined with light. The sun, the heat of the sun is what warms the earth, he says. But the heat of the sun is not alone. It is uh, intermingled. It is tied to also the light that it produces. Therefore, faith alone justifies, and yet that faith which justifies is not alone. So how do we know if we're hearing well? I think we know we're hearing well if our Hearing results in our doing. Now, this is not anti-grace or anti-gospel. This is the work of grace in us. 
working through us, conforming us to the image of Jesus, who is the perfect one, who is the righteous one. And so in so many ways, Luke 8, 21, but he answered them, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Almost serve as a, as a conclusion, a, a bookend, a summary for everything so far we've read in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. On display at the beginning of Luke 8, in the lives of the, the disciples, in the lives of the faithful women who followed Jesus from the beginning of Luke 8, is the power of God's grace on display. That His work in their lives would cause such a transformation that they would risk everything to follow Him. Proof, if you will, of faith in Jesus. He's clear that this kind of faith isn't just granted because of birth or religious observance or circumstance. Faith comes by hearing Paul says in Romans chapter 10. And those who have heard the message of Jesus, truly heard it. There's many who heard it, and many said, I don't need that. They heard, but they didn't obey. But those who do, Jesus says, Paul says, are bearing the fruit of faith. To have heard the word of God only is of no value unless it is accompanied by faith. And even more, it is possible that an assumed faith is of no value unless it is a faith that puts God's word into practice. To continue from the parable of the sower, the good soil, it's those who hear the word and hold it fast, bearing fruit with patience. It's the seed that takes root and grows. It flourishes under trial. Right? It avoids entanglements <clears throat> in the weeds of cares and comforts, and it produces fruit. So the evidence of hearing God's word. Our, the faith in our lives isn't determined by how many minutes we spend in prayer each morning or how well our theological arguments are crafted, but by our humble doing of what God's word says and calls us to do. The word of God, truly heard, truly received, bears the fruit of faithful doing. This kind of hearing, truly hearing, truly understanding, truly knowing, bears fruit. It shows itself in love for our neighbors. It shows itself in compassion for the harassed and the helpless, the outcast, the widow, and the orphan. It shows itself in displaying mercy to those who would otherwise be undeserving. It shows itself in the humble and bold willingness to hold fast to the clear teachings of Scripture in the face of an avalanche of cultural pressure and relativism that says there is no truth or it's whatever you want it to be for fear of offending someone. This kind of hearing shows itself in the willingness for us to lay aside our preferences for the sake of a brother or sister, to sacrificially give of ourselves discomforting ourselves to bring comfort to another. This kind of hearing shows itself in the slow and often tedious work of sanctification where we fight to put to death the old self and to strive in all His power to walk according to the Spirit and no longer according to the flesh. 
See, the challenge of this kind of life, a life of not merely hearing, but also doing, in this kind of attempt, this life of faith, the challenges are neither few nor easy. The kingdom of darkness, the distractions and cares and comforts of the world around us, all these things are a constant pull. But can I remind you, Our Lord Jesus says, the Son of God himself regards you who are his disciples, hearers and doers of his word. He calls you his own family, his own sisters and brothers. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 2 on what this means. For it was fitting that he... Speaking of God the Father, for uh, whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus Christ, God the Son, perfect through suffering. That is the redemption of humanity through Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his own. See, God has given us his word, and if we have ears to hear, we can be sure that even if it seems slow, God will bear fruit through his word in our lives. Through trial and hardship and persecution. That none of that is wasted. And whether we see it or not, God's word is given us like a light. Not only to illuminate the dark places in our own lives. But our Lord intends to set the light of his word, his gospel, in our lives on a stand. In order to give light to all the darkness around us. As we read and study this, may he find us not merely hearers of the word. But doers of the word. So that we might shine bright the light of hope of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we... Acknowledge you are high and lifted up. You are holy and perfect. Forgive us for making the attempt to compare anything to you. Thank you for your mercy that you would call us to yourself. That through no work of our own, through no merit of our own, you love And delight in your people. Thank you for the mercy of calling us to yourself. We confess we are too often hearers of the word only. Would you forgive us? Would you move in us, Spirit of God? Bring conviction, bring grace, bring power to walk in and according to your word. Would you loose our tongues for confession and gratitude? Would you release thanksgiving 
from our mouths as we look upon your mercy for us in Christ Jesus afresh. We pray. Amen.